Welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Martha. And our mission is to connect the past and the present Nikki Mom by celebrating our stories and what our babies have overcome. Whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas, and welcome to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. It's Martha and Ashley. <laughs> the last time we <laughs> recorded, I had to do it by myself, and I miss you so much, Ashley. It was not the same without you. So thank you for coming back. Nice to me there. <laughs> yes. Uh, we have done several different episodes recently with uh, experts in the field of NICU and postpartum, which has been fantastic. But uh, we're, today we're going to get back to our storytelling roots a bit and connect with uh, a NICU mama. Her name is Vilma McGinnis, and she is actually in Miami, which is so wonderful in the minds of us uh, up in the upper Midwest. Uh, It's not negative 30, but when it was, I like to imagine visiting Vilma. Uh, Vilma, we're so happy you're here. Can you say hi? Hi, I'm so happy to be here to join you. Uh, This is going to be so fun. Absolutely. Um, And Vilma, I think, has a great and unique story to share. You know, we talk all the time. The NICU does not equal preemie. It doesn't equal one type of story. And I think Vilma is a great example of this, about how every journey of the NICU is different, but the experiences and the emotions are so are so universal. So I, I'm so glad to have you here. And I, the first time we met Vilma, I think all of us on the leadership team were like, we texted each other and we're like, Velma has to be our best friend now. We were just, we, I, you just have a magnetism, I think, about you. And um, just your heart is so evident. And it just, you have a joy and passion for your son that radiates from you. So I'm just going to shower you with compliments at the start. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. We've also fallen in love with your husband as he pops in and out of some of our girls' night outs. And I'm like, oh, it's Vilma's amazing husband. <laughs> yes. He's awesome. Yeah. I, I must say he really is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You two seem like you have an awesome team. So, Vilma, do you want to just start by, by sharing a little bit about what the start of pregnancy was like for you? Um, did you find out you were pregnant by surprise or is it something you were planning? Um, we were planning on it. We've been married for six years. Um, I had been taking prenatals for about three months, trying to prep my body to, uh, do whatever it's supposed to do. Um, and then we were very lucky that on our first try, um, we got a positive test result. Um, I remember it was the day I was supposed to, you know, know if I got my period or not. And I, took the test and it was positive. And when he came home, I gave him the results and we were really, really excited um, that we finally were, had the opportunity to start our family. So we, it was a um, fairly easy pregnancy. Um, I, the first three months I was waiting for those nauseous, like I need to throw up moments and they didn't exist. I was extremely, extremely lucky. Um, I, I made myself smoothies. I prepped it. I read everything that could help you not get the nausea. So I thought maybe that was it. Um, But I was very lucky. I had a beautiful pregnancy. I enjoyed every second of it. Um, 
we were, I was very blessed through the process. I have to say, I recently saw a picture of you when you were pregnant on Instagram with Bradley and you looked so amazing pregnant. You make a beautiful pregnant woman. I hope that's not too creepy to say. I said it, so I can't take it back. But um, it just, like you said, it looked like pregnancy agreed with you. Like it was, you wore it well. And, um, you know, did you decide on the name Bradley while you were pregnant? Uh, No. So funny enough, when my husband and I started dating, we talked about, you know, if we were to have kids, like what would we name our child? So Bradley has been a name that we've had for six years. We had a girl and a boy. Mm -hmm. So at our gender reveal, it was either, you know, uh, Ceci or Bradley. And um, Mm -hmm. we really wanted a Bradley. And we are very happy. His name (laughs) is actually uh, Bradley Xavier. So Bradley is... You know, we're Hispanics, so nobody in our family is named Bradley. Um, and Xavier is my husband's uncle who passed away, and it was a way to honor the family name. And I love, love the name Xavier. Um, mm-hmm. So that's how we came up with Bradley Xavier. That's mm-hmm. amazing. And um, when you got closer to the end of your pregnancy, were you still feeling um, – that things were progressing as they should be. Did I know in the third trimester it gets uh, pretty uncomfy, so to speak? Uh, I mean, how was that for you? No, it was it was great. I mean, I know that a lot of women. Um, I've had friends. I'm one of the last of my friends to have a baby. Um, everybody says, you know, when you get to a third trimester, you're like, get this baby out of me. And <laughs> I could have been pregnant another ten weeks and been happy. Um, the anxiety of meeting him was creeping in, but not for it to be over. Um, I, I was very comfortable. Um, you know, I have, my job allows me to walk as I need to be. So it was, it was just a a great, I mean, I can't tell you enough. Um, the doctor was very happy with my progress. Um, I've kind of fluctuated with my weight my whole life and I took a lot of care before I was pregnant. Uh, to be underweight, so I wouldn't be a high risk. Um, and throughout the pregnancy, I was very cautious in what I intook. I passed a gestational diabetes test. Um, I didn't have my blood pressure was one seventeen over ninety the entire time, or eighty five, something like that. I, I really was it, it was picture perfect. Uh, according that's his words, um, mm. picture perfect. Mm. Okay, so tell us a little bit about um, your delivery and what kind. What was your delivery like? Okay, so I was thirty-eight weeks, five days. Um, we figured the baby's gonna come at any point in time, and the weekend before, on a Sunday, I thought that my water broke at four o'clock in the morning, and because I went to the bathroom and I didn't feel myself go, but there was water. So I figured mm. this is my water breaking. And I woke up my husband and we went to the hospital. And of course it was negative. I wasn't even dilating. I was fine. Um, I had a follow-up appointment that Thursday. Everything was good to go. Uh, he was expecting me to go to 40 weeks. But then that Sunday, um, I we had barbecue with friends as a last hurrah. And I was uneasy. I thought I really hadn't felt the baby move much. He didn't move a lot throughout the pregnancy, 
and my preg- my placenta was towards the front. So I never felt a lot of movement and was told that it was normal. Um, we tried to do the 3D pictures. We really couldn't get anything at any time because of the way the placenta was located. So I really didn't think much of it. But that day, it was less than normal. I didn't feel him on my side. I was uncomfortable. So at night, I told my husband that I think something's off. And he said, are you sure? It's just anxiety that, you know, last weekend we were in the hospital. You're going to go again today. I'm like, yeah, I just, I think something's off. So I called the doctor. My mother-in-law stopped by to visit. And she said, you know what? The doctor actually, sorry, the doctor called me back and said, um, come in. Come in. Let's check you out. So my mother-in-law told me, let let um, let Jose, my husband, wash up. I'll take you to the hospital. And if it's anything serious, he can just meet us there. And that's what we did. We went to the hospital, which is two miles away from my house. And I got checked in. They, they connected. The nurse tried to put the Doppler. And she realized it, it, we didn't get any sound. So I freaked out. Mm-hmm. I sinked in the chair. And she's like, calm down. Calm down. Mm-hmm. Okay. She tries again. And we hear the heartbeat. And I said, okay, there's nothing to worry about. They'll just send me home. And she's like, all right, you need to go into triage and get checked out. I'm like, okay. So I'm I'm like, all right, I panic for nothing. I hear the heartbeat. He's fine. My husband shows up shortly after when the nurse comes in and says, well, it's a great time to have a baby. And I said, what? She goes, yeah, it's a great night to have a baby. We're going to do your blood work now. And then you're being admitted. And I looked at my husband and I said, well, I guess they don't want me to come back another time. Um, babe, just go home and grab the diaper bag. And don't forget that you were supposed to strap in the baby seat. And, <laughs> <laughs> and um, he left. I stayed again with my mother-in-law. Um, the nurse came back and said, the doctor wants to order an ultrasound. And I said, okay, well, we'll be here a while. And within, I mean, time right now is a blur for that, but within no time I was being transported from triage into a delivery room and I knew that that was too fast I've been in triage before I've heard women in pain with contractions I didn't have anything I could not understand why I was being transferred and I started to cry I remember being rolled into uh the delivery room just with the anxiety to the max level I'm there with my mother-in-law, and I'm asking, where's my husband? And she said, he's picking up the bag. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, they're getting me to sign paperwork for in case mm-hmm. I have to go into a C-section and all the stuff you have to sign. And and I can't mm-hmm. understand why I'm going through this at this time. Like, this can't be happening. Um, sh- the ultrasound tech arrives at the same time the doctor. And the doctor tells me, you know, he says, look, um, the heartbeat is a little irregular. Um, I just want to have an ultrasound. I told him, well, I have a plan. I'm supposed to have a vaginal regular birth. And he said, if, if that's possible, we will make that happen. We just need to check on the baby first. I will make every attempt so you can have a natural birth. And I said, okay. Um, the technician was there. He's moving around the, the ultrasound and He's moving it around and shaking my belly. And I'm like, why are you doing this? Is, is he not moving? And 
the tech can't tell me anything. Um, but he's so serious. And my mother-in-law is trying to like push my belly on the side to help the baby move. And he looks at her and he's like, stop doing that. And I'm like, you're so mean. Like you're freaking out. But, but I can't say that because I'm like, I want to be nice to this guy. So he's nice to me. And, yeah. Yeah. and, um, and then he, I see him like zoning into something and I just look at him and if you can imagine the silence and just the intensity just rising over me, he calls a doctor and the doctor looks at it and they talked outside. Doctor comes in and said, um, listen, the biophysical is a two out of eight. I've never even heard of that. Um, I had never heard that because at all of my appointments, everything was perfect. Fluid mm-hmm. levels were perfect. Everything's been fine. He was measuring fine. So I never, we never got into any details or any possibility of complications. Um, mm-hmm. So at this point in time, he's like, I knew it didn't sound great. Um, but when he said that, I said, okay, this is serious. He said, we, we need to go in and do the C-section right now. We're taking you into the OR. Um, mm. And then I turned to my mother and I'm like, where is Jose? Like, where is my husband? Um, poor guy. He's in the parking lot of the hospital trying to put the, the chair in. Because <laughs> he can hear me in his ear. Um, I'm a planner. So he's like, he can just hear me. And right. yeah. Uh, yeah. So she texted him, I guess, because he showed up and they gave him scrubs. I think I was able to text one of my siblings, giving them the heads up. And I said, please call my family. Please call my family. And um, I was rushed into the OR. Um, they had the, there, they did the, they put me out. I remember just looking into whoever's chest was holding me. I remember just tr- telling the nurse that was holding me, I'm really nervous. I'm really nervous. I'm really nervous. And he said, everything's going to be okay. Just relax. Um, and I just started to listen to the music that they, somebody had in the OR playing. And I remember laying back. And of course, I had created a baby playlist for the day that I had to push. <laughs> I love you, Vilma. <laughs> and, and it's all like, soft rock you know and <laughs> queen and journey <laughs> and and i remember hearing in the background africa by toto and oh that gosh. was on my baby playlist oh. and, and i was like it kind of gave me for a second a sense of everything is going to be okay and I mm-hmm. said, whoever put this music, you have great taste in music. <laughs> and, and, so I always try to make the light of the situation. And, um, mm-hmm. and then my husband came in and we were there. And I just remember praying, closing my eyes, praying, praying. And um, when the doctor the doctor says, okay, he's coming, he's coming. And they let my husband like see the baby. We hear him screaming and crying and I'm crying. I'm like, okay, we're good. There's nothing to worry about. Um, the doctor turns to me and says, in 20 years of doing this, I wasn't expecting to see a baby look this good. Mm. I said, I had no idea what that meant. My baby's good. And 
he's taken over to the side uh, to be weighed. My husband cuts the umbilical cord. They take pictures. They wrap him. They bring him to my side. Um, then they take him back um, while I get sutured up. And I was so happy, so happy. I, I don't remember much from there and then, until we just pulled into the recovery. Um, in recovery, I was greeted by my in-laws and the baby was being cleaned next to me. And I remember reading about Golden Hour. And I remember in my plan, I wasn't going to let them bathe him. And I wanted to carry him. And for some reason, I didn't stop the nurse. I felt like they have to do whatever they have to do right now. And I didn't think about it. And she's bathing him and she's cleaning him. And she keeps on saying, I need him to get upset. He's not upset enough. And he needs to get pinker. He needs to get redder. And I, I remember her and he's crying. And we're all looking at him and like, he's a little pink baby. He looks great. And I remember her just insisting on this. Neonatology had already looked at him and gave him the okay. And when she's almost done with the bath, she's like, no, I need oxygen. And this mm-hmm. was probably an hour after he was born. All of my family has already been, because they were all waiting outside, has already been through recovery and seen him next to me. He was born at 10.35 p.m. It was midnight. When my cousin walks into the room, they're like, no, he needs 100% oxygen. He needs to be taken in right now. And they told her to turn around and leave. They gave me a second to hug him. Hmm. And they took him with my, with my husband. My husband went with them. And that is the moment that he was admitted into, into the NICU. So, Vilma, first of all, thank you for walking through your delivery story with us because um, I think it's something that's always present with us, with us NICU moms, but it's not something that you verbalize out loud all the time. So that's, that's a lot of courage for you to walk through all of that. Um, you know, I, I wonder, first of all, how long was that time frame of you getting to the hospital and delivering and then in being in recovery? Because it seems like it was incredibly fast. And, and also, how did you navigate that roller coaster of emotions of it's okay or it's not okay, it's not okay, it's okay, it's not okay, you know? That's exactly how we felt. I felt like it was a high and a low, a high and a low constantly like we got a heartbeat okay he's fine hi and then he's not doing well low and it was just the back and forth um yeah. I was admitted into the hospital we got to the hospital I want to say 8 30 between no later than 8 30 at night he was born within two hours of arrival at the hospital um yeah. I mean like born that is the birth certificate time and yeah. as we all know that's extremely fast it doesn't work like that um, and then he was admitted by midnight, by midnight. And I go by the times of our phone, you know, the picture, the phone stamp. That's right. how I know what time, how things happened versus actual, the reality of living it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When they said we're, we're bringing him to NICU or they rushed him off and maybe they didn't even explain it. 
what did you know about the NICU beforehand? Did you know anybody who had kiddos in the NICU? Uh, so I don't know if you know who Jamie, Notis, Jamie Otis is from Married at First Sight. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. I'm obsessed with that show. And yeah. um, so I remember when Jamie had her pregnancy with her son that she lost uh, when he was about seven months old. That took a huge impact. And I had to stop following her for a little while. And I will tell you that that made me very aware of my pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I think I attribute the reason why I went to the hospital that day on being so fearful of that happening. Mm-hmm. So I was very aware. I constantly, you know, wanted to 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 make sure that my pregnancy was going well and that he was going to make it. The possibility of of infant mortality was somewhat in my subconscious. So um, I didn't know from the NICU, but I just, I had that in the back of my head. And I did know like one person that her son was a preemie and was in the NICU, but that's it. That's, that's all I've known. All of my nieces, nephews, and little cousins have all been born at this hospital. I've been to their maternity wing at least 20 times. I've never been to a NICU. So it's really, really foreign for you. Extremely. And, and, and then also, I mean, it, it sounds like you have an amazing support system of family and um, friends who are just like, yeah, it's midnight. We're going to come meet your baby. We're, we're here for you no matter what, which is incredible. But then for them to experience that whiplash with you, um, what did that feel like for you? It was strange because the next morning, nobody knew he was in the NICU. Everybody came to find out as they were calling in to see how we were. Um, You know, it's the group chat of when the baby's coming really didn't exist until pretty much we started this whole like NICU journey where we started having different family group chats to give updates. So as people were calling, wanting to come to the hospital, they were starting to find out what was happening, that the baby was in the NICU. Um, We probably went to sleep, or even if you call it sleep, um, around like maybe 5 o'clock in the morning, 4.30 in the morning, because we couldn't wrap our minds about what was happening. Uh, My in-laws were with me uh, through the whole time. My mother-in-law's like my mom, honestly. She's... Mm -hmm. We're extremely, extremely closed. And, um, you know, she she was there to hold my hand the whole time. And, and we were together and, and her husband, um, you know, they went, picked up something to eat for us once I, I was able to eat something again. And we just waited for the doctors to give us updates that we really didn't get. Um, mm-hmm. The next morning, I remember it was right before nurse nurse change, the shift change of the, of my nurse. And she said, well, if you can, I don't remember what it was. I think it might've been to pass gas. I think she said, if you can do that, I'll let you go to the NICU. I remember it because remember, I, so painful. <laughs> yes. I remember. I feel like my nurse was like, you have to prove to me that you can poop. And I was like, no one has ever said that to me in my life. Right. So, but it's so true. She, so she said, I, I don't remember what I had to do. She said, I'll let you go. So I said, I did whatever it was. And she said, okay, here's your wheelchair. Um, 
my husband took me into the NICU so I could see him. And um, I don't know what I left behind that he went back to the room. And when he went back to the room, the new nurse was there and said, she cannot be out of this room yet. You need to bring her back. Hmm. And so I was with him maybe 15 minutes. And the same thing, like, this is the NICU. Um, There were about another eight beds in there. And there was these tiny babies next to him with decorated beds. And there's this little isolate with my son and he's intubated and I cannot understand why this is happening. Mm -hmm. I followed every rule, every do not, every, I, I stayed as best as I could away from sugar. I did not have a sip of alcohol. Not even that one glass of wine that every old school mom tells you you could have. Um, I took care of myself, did the prenatals. I walked. I did everything possible for my child. And he was there. Mm. I couldn't understand why. And I had to be taken away, taken back to my room until whatever other things had to happen in order for me to be allowed to go back. Um. The doctor said that she was going to go to my room and, and give me an update. Um, and and that was, you know, that, yeah, that was the beginning of, of our journey. And so did you choose to, to breastfeed? So were you pumping at this time? I'm the planner. I'm crazy, okay? I mean, it's been established <laughs> in my family. Um, I had... So when I was pregnant, I went to a La Leche League meeting to find out everything I had to know about breastfeeding. Um, That's the cutest name I've ever heard. You've never heard of that. You've never heard of La Leche League? No. This is a nationwide thing. La Leche League is, is all about breastfeeding and they have support groups all over the country about for breastfeeding. It's like a breastfeeding support group. Love it. I think ours are called like milk cafes, but I like yours better. (laughs) (laughs) So I found, I found these, I found them online. I I went to a meeting when I was pregnant so I can like, know what am I supposed to do to prepare for this? I thought you had to prep. Apparently you don't. And I had, um, I had met somebody that told me about this amazing, um, oh my God, what's it called? the nursing, a lactation specialist. Um, She had told me about this lactation specialist. So I had this lady's contact information and I was ready. I wanted to breastfeed. This was my goal. This is what I've been looking forward to my entire pregnancy. And I remember I could barely take, get anything out. Um, And then I had one lactation specialist come into my room and she was the nicest person for 20 minutes. She helped massage my boob and squeeze mm-hmm. so we can get some of the, the uh, colostrum to come out. And she had little syringes to catch it. Every drop that came out, we would catch it in a syringe. And I was 
I remember I had like one ML and I'm like, yes, I'm doing something. <laughs> and I remember I have a picture of, I think about two syringes with three ML each. And I was like, yes, I am kicking butt. <laughs> yeah. you, know? you were kicking butt. <laughs> I, I was like, yes. And I remember running, like, well, not running. I, I was, first day, I was walking back and forth to the NICU, if I could. Um, and I remember while, while we were in the hospital, just walking back and forth. And I would be there with him. And then it was time to pump. So I would leave and go pump in the room, get whatever I could get, and then like walk it like so ever so proudly walk it over there. I'm like, this is what I got. Um, (laughs) So, so I tried, I really tried and I was able to, um, uh, I exclusively pumped for two months uh, during our, our stay in the, in the, in the NICU during our 54th day stay. I exclusively pumped um, during that time. Yeah. That's, I, as someone who, uh, you know, as a self-described planner as you, I imagine that was like a, um, a great way to feel like you had control of something, you know, where everything else was out of control. Yes. Um, Yes. It, It made me feel in control. Um, I was there for all the rounds as well. And that was also part of the control of taking doubt notes. I knew what was going on, getting to know the nurses and also buying them lunch. And Mm. if I heard that they were in the need of coffee, trying to make sure that our family bought coffee so they Mm. can take care of my child. And when I saw that everybody else had their little isolates decorated and my husband went home that first day I told him grab his r2d2 blanket because he had an r2d2 ah! blanket I go grab his blankets Brett like grab blankets he's getting his stuff decorated and <laughs> um and we did and they were so sweet because they print out personalized labels with their name and weight and of course they printed out we're star Wars nerds a Star Wars uh, label for him, and we we're just so proud that um, yeah. that our little Jedi, as we called him this entire time, um, mm-hmm. was he was going to fight this through. He was going to fight yes. it through. I was just going to say. I mean, well, it sounds like you and your family pivoted re- like just really hard into this this passion and this fight for him. Like no matter what we are here for him and we're going to do everything we possibly can. It, it really is incredible, Vilma. That takes so much resilience, I think, to process and digest that much information so quickly. Um, you're, you are incredible. So I'm just going to put that on the record. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, also, I just, I want to hear what it was like when you finally were able to talk with his care team, you know, and, and find out what, what was going on because, like you said, it was fine and then it wasn't. It was fine and then it wasn't. It must have been so confusing. You, what you said is exactly right. We just jumped right in. Um, they told me they were looking, they were getting a cardiologist that we were waiting for a cardiologist. And my, our godson um, had a heart murmur when he was born. So we, they have a cardiologist. So I immediately text my best friend and I said, let me have your doctor's name. She's like, I will call him. Within five minutes, her cardiologist was at our hospital ready to see my son. And he said, 
I immediately asked, I want him. Oh no, but we already called him. Like, I don't care. I was told I'm mom. I want him right now to be seen. And they went ahead. He saw him. He said, your baby's going to be fine. It looks like it's pulmonary hypertension. And I said, okay, because of the oxygen. This is what they were so looking at the first day. It was the need of oxygen. So that's what we kept on focusing on, relieving the oxygen. He was extubated within 24 hours. By six days of birth, he was on cannula. And I said, listen, this kid is going to be out of here in another week. He's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. But then the other complications that occurred were they had to give him a higher level of dextrose than usual, which is sugar in his IV as his blood sugar levels would drop whenever they've they've been checked. Um, So they were, they were, that was an area of concern when they did his blood work, his white blood cells were low and they kept on dropping. So that was another area of concern. The doctors kept on asking me, did you, did you get sick? Have you had an infection? Like, tell us about your pregnancy. And I'm like, I don't know. I I had a cold when I was three months pregnant. <laughs> Is that it? Um, and they just couldn't. They were having such a hard time not understanding why this baby was sick, which I couldn't understand why a newborn baby could be sick. That was hard, a hard concept to also take in. And, and me, being okay, being healthy. They just they couldn't put two and two together. Um, and that was, that was difficult for the doctors and his blood levels kept on dropping. I mean, his, uh, platelet levels kept on dropping and at six days of birth, we stroll into the NICU with sandwiches as a thank you because my son's going to leave the hospital next week because he's doing so great. He was already on room air, but I remember walking in. And telling me that he might have had an episode of a seizure. And I was very upset because I wasn't called at that moment. But they did tell me that they were all with him. They didn't want to worry us if it was nothing. But they did check his blood level, at the, I mean his sugars at that time. And they got a 12 reading. Mm-hmm. And then they checked it with another machine. And it was at 100 something. So they believed that that wasn't a true reading. Um, they don't understand why he had the seizures. And this, the seizures were never a part of any conversations prior to this, right? Nothing. We had no okay. sight of this. Um, mm. The nurses were all around him. They were charting him. They couldn't understand it. We had decreased the, the IV and increased his milk intake. Um, and it's... In neonatology, it's very interesting where it's a guessing game. You know, when as us as adults, when we go to a doctor, we have a history and they understand certain aspects and they're very cautious. But when it comes to babies, it's a guessing game because they don't have a medical history. So they're trying to figure out what works for this child. And it seems as his he was producing too much insulin. So his body wasn't adjusting to the drop of IV and increase of food. And he started having 
we weren't aware of this because this is when sugar started to come into play in, in you know, it's almost a week old. Um, or that I recall having a conversation about sugars coming into play. But then he started having more frequent apneic seizures where he, you think he's staring at you. And then all of a sudden the eyes just roll back. He turns completely white and just goes. And at one of those, my husband was holding his hand and the alarms are going off and you think you're losing him like that's it mm-hmm. and the nurses all go around him and they're tapping his feet to get him back tapping him tapping him and after on the second day they said listen it's taking longer to get him back we need to intubate him again so he was intubated once again at that point in time um, we had, uh, the platelet levels kept on dropping. We were told that if they dropped under a certain number, we're going to have to do a transfusion. Um, cardiology did another sonogram on his heart. Everything came fine. They did sonograms on all of his organs. They found nothing. Blood work found no infection. There was no explanation on why this was happening. The doctor explained to us that if it was just one thing, they could understand. But all the moving pieces of what was happening to him and why he was getting worse, because we all thought he was doing better and all of a sudden he just went backwards. They couldn't put it together. So we had a conversation about a transfer. Can we transfer him to our local children's hospital. And they said, um, you know, at this time, our hospital is is capable of giving him the best care possible. But as it started to get more intense, they told us that they they had put in their transfer request that we had been admitted to the children's hospital um, on the basis of he needed genetic testing. And since all the doctors that were treating him at our current hospital were already coming from the children's hospital, it ended up just working out for the best. And at nine days old, he was transferred via ambulance to Nicholas Children's, which is our local um, children's hospital. And did you ride with him to the, in the transfer? I did. So yeah. I had already been cleared to drive by my OB. He, he couldn't believe it. He was so shocked. The funny, so my OB, who I love, and if I hope he hears this, Dr. Limo, <laughs> he's amazing. <laughs> Dr. Limo, we love you. Yes, I do. <laughs> I love him, love him, love him. Like when I walked in on, when I found out I was pregnant for my first visit, he hugged my husband and I, we're having a baby. Aww. He's amazing. So, so sweet. He's amazing. So Dr. Limo saw me and he came to visit us and he couldn't believe it. And he explained to me, look, mom, unfortunately, like, we don't know why these things happen. You had a perfect pregnancy. Infant mortality rate is something still very unknown because we can't test babies in utero. Um, So we just have to, we have to lead with faith and we're going to take care of this baby. Um, 
So he had already cleared me for drive. And when the ambulance got there, they're like, you had a C-section? I'm like, yes, but I'm good. I'm clear. He goes, okay, you can't go in the back with us. I'll let you ride with us, but you have to ride in the front. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> um, so we, I did, I, I did ride with him in the bed, in the, in the ambulance. Uh, and that life flight team was amazing. I remember being so nervous for this transfer. Like, how are they going to deal with traffic and any bumps on the road? And, you know, how can this happen? And when they walked into that room, all my fears went away. The the nurse that takes care of him for the ride just really took over. Like, she knew his chart within two minutes and asked, is he currently having seizures? Is this happening? Is this going on? Like, what happened? When was the last reading? When was – it was just – it was like a doctor, you know, and mm-hmm. she took over and I felt like he was going to be great hands. Um, and the transfer team just, just did a great job of putting us at ease that he, we, they started to give us the hope that this was going to be for the best and things were going to get better. Um, yeah. so the, yeah, the transfer was, was, was amazing. So you transfer to, to Nicholas and what was, what was your experience there? How was it different? How did things progress for Bradley? At our first hospital where he was born, we were in a room with eight isolates. At Nicholas, you have a room per child. And the room has a family area where you sleep in. You have your bathroom and shower. Um, there's the kitchen area for eating and obviously the entrance lobby. The waiting area for Nicholas was the best part because the hardest part of being at the birth hospital was the area that you're meeting your family and you're giving them updates on your child is the same area that other families are excitedly waiting for the birth of theirs. Mm, Yeah. And having families cheer Mm. when your child you think might not make it is like adding salt to that wound. I remember bawling, crying, not knowing what was happening and having families next to me smiling and me not wanting to smile. I mean, me not wanting to cry because I didn't want to kill their joy or me sitting there and looking at their expressions and waiting to hear if their child also went into the NICU. Like, if, are they getting a bad news? Not wanting it for them, but like thinking like we are also stupid to be here so excited when anything can go wrong. So that was also so mentally draining. I remember hearing a little kid cry, screaming, mommy or daddy, and me just crying, saying, I want my child to be able to say that one day. Um, Or the fact that I hadn't heard my child cry for Mm. the first three days. I got to carry him on day five. So that was the hardest part. So when I changed over to Niklaus, being able to have a lobby at a children's hospital 
where there's different cases, there's different floors of a mm. of an ICU, where mm. unfortunately it's not all joyous, made it a little bit better. Right. It, so that was a huge change already. Being able to meet our family outside and and being able to just have a calm conversation without having this excitement around us um, was was a game changer for us. Um, but aside from that, the care, the way the care for for the for the family and for the baby was so different. This is their specialty. This is what they're here for. So being able to sleep at the hospital and not have to come back and make sure I make it back for touch time before the nurses changes the diaper when I told them I was going to be there. Um, right. Oh, it? yeah. <laughs> Been there. You're like, oh, I did it. we did it 15 minutes early. We didn't think you were coming. I yeah. told you I was coming. I left three post-it notes. Right. Yeah, like listen, I've been here for every touch time. What made you think that I wasn't going to make it to the midnight one? But <laughs> it's interesting hearing you talk about um, a touch time because as a preemie mom, touch time to me was kind of like I kind of expected that I couldn't touch him all the time because he was so little, his skin was so fragile. You know, having him be a preemie, I kind of knew that I couldn't touch him, but. For you, I imagine that it was difficult to even have to ask for that touch time because he doesn't look super fragile. He's not a preemie. He's a full-term baby. So how was that for you as a full-term mom to to have to wait for that touch time? The entire time, I couldn't understand or comprehend it. Um, having in the first hospital because I couldn't sleep there and it was the in and the constantly in and out, I felt so almost disconnected to the baby. Um, I couldn't touch him. I felt like I had to ask for permission mm-hmm. for everything. Can I touch my baby? Can I open? The nurse, would, I would wait for the nurse mm-hmm. to like look at me and I'm like, can I touch his feet? Um, and, and also there was a rule of no mm-hmm. video. So I couldn't record a video. It was just very hard and like I said, I as much as I felt that this was my child, I felt like this was the nurse's child. And once we transferred yeah. hospitals at Nick House, there was such an emphasis of this is your baby. Um, mm. And they did tell me sometimes, mom, you need to put him down. You can't carry him all the time. Because <laughs> there were times that I would just carry him from – one touch time to the other, almost like three hours I'm carrying him. But I felt like that doesn't do him any harm. I'm not moving him. I'm not doing anything. But apparently you're not supposed to do that. I don't know. I Like I said, I have a hard time understanding that concept. But mm-hmm. I felt more connected. I, I felt I was a part of the bath time. I was a part of the conversation of the process versus mm-hmm. – asking for permission to do things. And mm-hmm. I think it's just the training because it's a children's hospital that is so ingrained. It's part of their their mission and their values to, to do this for the family. I mean, I would sit there and if I tell you that I had a day, at least five different people come in to see if I needed anything, 
mom, do you need anything? I, I, I think I'm short. It was, it was amazing. You had the volunteers. They would wash my clothes. That took a little bit of me to say, okay, but they said, no, no, we'll wash. And if you want, we'll fold it for you. So, so my husband had to go to work during this whole time and I'm, I love him. He's so smart, but for some reason, men can't use a freaking washing machine. So <laughs> it's so foreign. Uh, so I've, I felt, in, you know, my own clothes. And, and if you bring the dress, we'll wash your baby's clothes. So it was amazing. I, they would wash my clothes. They would bring it back to me. Um, they would check in to see how I was doing. There was a NICU support a team that would come talk to us. There was a lactation specialist on our floor that she would check in. Mom, if you need anything, here's my cell phone number. Are you pumping correctly? Do you need different nipples? Is there? Can I get you uh, something else for the connection? I had the Medela Mac Daddy pump in the room with me. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was so catered to us that it really changed that experience. Um, mm. And, and you know, I, I remember I was at the other hospital when I was pumping. I would come home to pump where I was pumping in a little room that was supposed to be like the pump family room. But there was a crib in there and there was other stuff. It wasn't so cozy. Um, so this was a game changer. Um, it was very, very different. Mm. I, I think... Of course, every the NICUs are so different across the country, and um, having delivered in one in like a very large metropolitan area, and then one in um, you know a more rural community like we live in now, it's just the experiences are can be so different. Um, I think what you that that change that shift that you felt really highlights the fact that you can really um, start the healing process and the be very tender with families right from the start. You know, we don't have to start, wait to start that healing process after the NICU, right? Like they can, they really made you a patient in a way, you know, you're the family, you're a part of our family. And we know that you as a family in order to survive are going to need extra love and tender care right now. I think that's so beautiful. I'm so, I'm so happy that you, that, that happened for you, Vilma. Um, cause you're like a saint, a patron saint. And I feel like oh, you deserve no. nothing but sunshine and daisies, but Thank that you. is incredible. At night when it was very calm, the nighttime nurses became my, my girlfriends. They became the support team I needed. And I remember waiting for the nighttime change to see who was working and who was gonna, I can give the update of what was going on. And they would give me hope. They kept on telling me, Mm -hmm. Oh mom, I've seen a baby go through this and I've seen through that. And they were so amazing. Um, you know, upon arrival, it was very scary because we had a video EEG done literally upon arrival x-rays the following day. He had an MRI because he was already, he was already intubated. He had a spinal tap. Um, his platelets dropped under 7,000, so we had to do a platelet transfusion. The MRI results came back that he had a high level of glycine, 
So they thought he had this disorder called non-ketonic hyperglycinemia, which, of course, when you Google it, because that's all you're going to do at that time, when they're trying to rule that out, um, it's a baby with this doesn't pass neonatal. Mm. And this is all around Easter, that Good Friday uh getting the after in the afternoon getting the news that the spinal tap came back negative for for the for that disorder um we ended up because we transferred for genetics we were brought into this group called genome testing that the hospital is a part of and it was a grant project so this didn't even go through our insurance this is not your norm and the genome testing goes down to every, every mapping um, of the DNA strands for him. And they input all the different symptoms he's having to see if they can find a genetic abnormality. And they took my blood work and my husband's blood work as well to figure out what was happening because he kept on still requesting a lot of sugar in his in, in his uh, IV. So one of the things he was experiencing was hyperinsulinemia, which was an opposite of a diabetic. He was consuming all the sugars um, and he could go into hypoglycemia. So that was one of the biggest issues that we were seeing. Every time they would drop the level of glucose and try to increase foods, his sugars would drop. Mind you, he's getting pumped IV all the time and his sugars would continue to drop. So this was some endocrinology was involved and they kept on monitoring him. They put him on a, on a medication um, to see if that would slow down his insulin creation, um, and which it did. The It was crazy because the medication, the side effect was hair growth. So he was born with a lot of hair. And as the baby's hair starts to fall off, you know, you, we would notice it. But then when he was put on this medication, all of a sudden the hair stopped falling and started growing. And he started growing hair on his forehead. He was being, um, his, he, his glucose at one time, they were checking for sugars every hour and a half um, that he was getting pricked. And I became an expert on looking at them and telling them, did you warm up his foot? And I felt bad sometimes because, but then I also realized I'm his advocate. I'm the most constant, I'm the constant person there. I needed to make sure that I knew what the process was for him. He was on phenobarb for the seizures, um, which made him very loopy and very sleepy. So when OT and PT would come around to check on him, um, he wasn't always aware fully aware of what was going on. We were still not able to feed him with a bottle. He had an NG tube um, because he was so sleepy. You would put the bottle in his mouth and he wouldn't even suck. With time, they ordered a second MRI and that result was provided to us uh, right before Mother's Day. That Thursday, when the NICU hosted a NICU mom Mother's Day dinner, which I understood at that point in time what the title NICU mom was. 
I didn't even know that existed, that that title existed. And that day, the doctor came in. My husband was at work and told me that the results of the MRI were that Bradley had diffused white matter injury to the brain and that there is no real explanation for it, that it's possible with the way that the MRI imaging appears is that this happened in utero, which is the reason why we disconnected and everything occurred, that he had a hypoglycemic event and that caused the injury to the brain and that the brain doesn't repair itself um, and that we will need to monitor for developmental delays. Was that relieving in some regards or was it devastating? Like, how was it like for you guys to, to finally receive a diagnosis after this long period of, of the unknown? It was devastating. Um, it was devastating because you have all these ideas of when you have a baby and you make it past all the scary points of the pregnancy. And when you're at 38.5, you're home free or so you think. Mm -hmm. And to go from imagining a year full of pictures that you have already set up for your child <laughs> and everything you have planned that you're going to do to considering a world of you might have a special needs child was a bomb. Mm -hmm. And how do I tell my husband this? because he wasn't there for the results. And I wasn't going to tell the neurologist to come back. Like, oh, wait, don't tell me anything now. That wasn't going to happen. Right. So, <laughs> so that was, it was devastating. It was really difficult. But I thought back to the one high school, a mom that I know from high school that had a NICU baby that has CP, and I reached out to her and I spoke to her before I even spoke to my husband. And she told me, she, I told her how I felt. I told her the diagnosis. And she said to me, I know exactly the shoes that you are in. I know exactly how you feel. All the questions, the why me, what did I do wrong? Did I, I remember, did I look at a baby with special needs with too much kindness and God said, you can do it. I mean, like, why do I have to live this, this life? It, it, it becomes a question. And she said, question it, grieve it, cry. But tomorrow you pick yourself up and you do everything you can for your child. You will move mountains. You will make everything happen. And that, and she also told me to make sure that I enjoy him. That not to spend so much time grieving what could have been and enjoy him because he's still my baby. He's mm -hmm. still, I still get to carry him. I still get to dress him with everything that I've bought. I still get to do everything for him. It's just going to be a little bit different paced. And 
that was what picked me up and said, okay, we can do this. Um, my husband arrived to the hospital and his stepdad met him outside and kind of briefed him at what the doctor told us. And I don't know, he came in with such a positive demeanor where I thought he was going to be destroyed and I was going to have to pick him up. And he came in ready to pick me up. And that was amazing. And the doctor was still around and I was able to call him back in neurologist. And he sat down with us and he went through it again with our neonatologist who cried with us because the results were devastating. And my husband said, we're, we're going to make this happen. He's going to be fine. Um, and, and that day, just everything changed for us. I didn't know what direction we were going to take. Um, we still had so many unknowns and this was the only actual answer we had genetics, which I know I touched back briefly before came back with nothing. Nothing came back for what was happening with him. There was one genetic difference that came back uh, for the hyperinsulinemia, but it was insignificant variance, which means it means nothing. <laughs> um, so even genetics still made it even more questionable as to why things were happening. We did further testing after for other syndromes, and they all came back negative, thankfully. Um, you learn that no news is good news, and negative results are good, even if they still leave you in a very unknown world um, till this day. Mm -hmm. We don't understand why this happened. There is no explanation. Um, this is not common. I've asked the doctor, is this for lack of oxygen? He said, no, an injury due to oxygen looks different. I also remember, why does he keep on saying injury? Like, nobody hit him. <laughs> right. yeah. I was like, why is... And then they had to get the explanation that injury means damage. It's just another word, another terminology. I remember crying and, and, and grieving that moment. But then also sitting down in the kitchen and talking to other NICU moms that have preemies and have dealt with so many complications and knowing that there's, there's more to this process, knowing that I wasn't alone, knowing that there are other scenarios that thankfully I'm not living through. Um, and it was just, it, it was a very interesting thing. Once I was able to speak to somebody else that was going through this, um, because mm -hmm. I didn't go to the Nikki support group. I, I never went to that. So I really didn't think of myself. My husband would come home from, from work and well, home, the hospital and tell me, let's go grab a quick dinner. You know, this nurse is with him and I didn't want to leave. Like, why would I leave his side? There's no, no reason to leave him. Like I am here. I'm his mom. I need to be here. And him telling me, you need to walk away. You need to take a breather. You need to go home and wash your hair. You need to go like, you know, and, and those 
his insistence in those things would recharge my batteries. Um, my favorite was walking out to the cafeteria and when they would have the emotional support dogs. Oh my God. It was like, I miss my dogs. My dogs were, I have two dogs. They're my first children. I didn't have them. I didn't see my dogs for two months. So <laughs> walking and seeing these yummy doggies where I can <laughs> pet and I would put their pictures in his room or when you would wash your hands before you enter the NICU, I would put it there to make somebody else smile was the That's best. so sweet, Vilma. <laughs> Um, so it was, it was interesting. So, uh, at what point was the diagnosis from the MRI, you know, and how close was that to the, to the end of your stay? Because you'd already been through so much already. So the diagnosis was three weeks before our dismissal, two and a half weeks before our discharge from the hospital. Um, that gave us the reason for the seizures. And therefore, we also changed him from phenobarb to Keppra because nothing came back for genetics thinking that they, he might have a seizure disorder. So they felt comfortable to changing over to the Keppra. Um, and the, the issue kept on happening was because he was so sleepy, he wasn't taking anything through a bottle. And when he was, he was aspirating. And so speech had to work with him. They gave us a week. And after a week, he was, uh, he passed all his swallow tests and which was great. I'm like, yes, he's great. He's amazing. They said, he no longer needs to be in the hospital. That's what the doctor said to us. He looks medically fine. His platelet levels after the, the transfer, soaring, perfect, never dropped again. They never found anything. Um, the sugars were finally controlled. He was passing on on all the checks. The last thing he needed was he needs to be able to take in nutrition. So we arrived to to this point. Oh, I remember it was like on a Sunday. The doctor checks him out. He goes, he looks great. He's moving. He's more aware. He's more alert. You need to take your baby home. I'm like, okay, how do we make that happen? And he said, <laughs> just let's do a G-tube. Let's do a feeding tube. And I said, what is that? They brought a little doll. They showed us how the feeding tube works. And we looked at him and said, okay, so that means that that NG thing down his throat, nose, throat comes off. They said, yes. Okay, let's do it. Where do we sign? And they looked at us like, really? You're on board? And we, why wouldn't we be? And they said, you know, a lot of parents have a hard time because it is surgery. It's a we just looked at him and said, listen, we've been here for a month and a half. If you're telling me this is what gets him to go home, then let's do it. So we signed off and he had his G-tube put in. The surgery um, was interesting because we also decided on doing a circumcision. So they were going to do that at that point in time. And when they started looking at the G-tube, they come out and they tell us that they found he had a hernia. And we just looked at each other like, what does that mean? They're like, well, there was a, a testicle that they couldn't find all the time. 
and it looked like it kept on popping in and out of the hernia. So the doctor says, if we have your approval, we can close it. I'm like, okay, he's already out. Let's do it. So he had the hernia closed. He had his G2 put in and he had a circumcision that day. Kid went through everything. Um, After that, uh, we recovered within that week. We were discharged a few days after that, May 31st. Well, actually, we were supposed to be discharged May 30th. And we kept on saying, we're going home, we're going home, we're going home. And then the Nick support um, team member comes into the room and she says, don't say that. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, we say you're going to Disney. And I said, why? She goes, we don't want to jinx it. So here we don't say we're going home. We say we're going to Disney. So I said, okay, we're going to Disney. Well, lo and behold, we didn't get to go to Disney that day. The pump, his feeding pump didn't arrive. And we were not allowed to be discharged without the actual pump. And the following day, I'm like, okay, we're going to Disney, going to Disney. His nighttime nurses had told me, don't dress him until you sign your discharge paperwork. (laughs) Do not do anything until you have discharge in your hands. The last night that he was there, they all came in. I have the most beautiful pictures with all of his nighttime nurses, his crew. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that day finally came. We got our discharge paperwork. Um, We changed him. I had gotten him a onesie, finally moving in with my parents. Um, Mm -hmm. And as we were leaving the NICU, one of the grandmas that would see us in the kitchen, she was so sweet, but she started cheering in the hallway. (laughs) and when she started cheering it like just hit me we're going home like Mm. this is it and we just cried the whole way out Mm. we just cried we had all these people all of a sudden in the hallway cheering for us and it was like oh my god you know and and we're finally going home and um we went home and drove so slowly We, of course, got (laughs) stuck in traffic because we live in Miami. And we cried the whole way home uh, (laughs) with us. And and my in-laws were so sweet. They they followed us here. So we have a video as we brought him into the house. We have pictures. And and we were home. Our home journey began at that point in time. Wow. And... I, how was that transition home? I mean, you've been home for a little over a year now, right? And, um, I, you know, a lot of moms in the community say that it's so bittersweet. Like you've created a family at the NICU. So leaving feels a little, ah, you know, for lack of a better word. (laughs) Yes. As much as you wanted to be home, I missed the hospital. It was so strange. And it was the support that I had. It was the fact that I was pumping and he was crying and there's nobody to pick him up. Um, And I ended up having, I stopped pumping. A week home, I stopped pumping. I wasn't, I didn't have a supply because he never latched. Um, I tried everything in the book. Of course, no, I couldn't try everything because the lactation stuff, the cookies and the teas and everything, the side effect is it can lower the, the glucose level 
for the baby. Oh, oh my gosh. Of course. Which that was our problem. So I couldn't do anything. And, um, so a weekend I was fortifying milk and I was stressing incredibly. And I said, my husband said, and my sister, actually, my husband told me to stop. And of course, why would I listen to my husband? Um, (laughs) my sister told me, Vilma, something has to give and it's okay. I'm not going to tell you to stop, but if this is what you need, you need to be present. Something has to give. And I called my best friend. We had the same conversation. And then I told my husband, look, I think I'm ready to, to stop. And he said, perfect. One less thing for you to clean and worry about. And, um, and I stopped within a week home. I stopped and at home I was by myself and nobody knew what I was going through. And I felt like I didn't know any of the moms that I met in the kitchen. I was praying for them and I never knew their name. I knew them as mom. So it was so hard because I didn't know where to reach out. And then I started taking him to therapies and um, everything, you know, his, his plan of care that he has. And I remember making a connection with his therapist and then starting to ask them, Hey, do you know of a NICU support? Like who can help me now for me? And, you know, there's some stuff and you can go support like, you know, the March of Dimes on, on Facebook. And I joined them and I joined another program here, but it never felt like what I needed. It never felt like a one-on-one. Um, and I, I really needed that. I I started going to therapy back in November of last year because I was having constant crying spells of, of what happened and, and kind of still mourning everything. Um, but then a beautiful thing happened. I found Dear Nikki Mama. And <laughs> and I've I've told you ladies this in the past. You were exactly what I was looking for. The support in our community, in this sisterhood, was what I needed. Um and not just for me, seeing other people support each other, seeing moms share their grievances and their difficulties and being honest and vulnerable was was perfect. And the quotes that you post were so connected to me that it started my healing process. Um, mm-hmm. And when you asked me to be a part of the Mother's Day project, mm-hmm. it it made it full circle. I had never written down our story. I had never shared everything about our story until then. Um, and I feel for the first time now, strong, mm-hmm. strong that we could do this, that what being a mom, a NICU mom really means, it doesn't mean that you had a weak baby, that you had a sick baby. It's really, it's, which is strange. Like I thought NICU mom means, yeah, you know, I had a baby in the hospital and you know, all these complications for me joining this group became being a NICU mom means I'm strong. I am 
bad, you know? <laughs> that's, that's what I learned it to be. And through this time, all of, through our, our, our nighttime Zoom calls that we've had, the strength in all the women I've met is so powerful that it's changed my mindset. You know, this is strength. This is strength. What we went through, we are so strong and we are such advocates for our children. And I know every mom loves their children, but man, there is something to be said about the love that a NICU mom has for their child. There is nothing that can hold us back. The stitches from a, from a C-section, the hours of labor that they might have gone through, whatever it is, the pain. I know some NICU moms have been in the ICU before they can see their children. And just there's absolutely nothing stronger than the love of a NICU mom. And I really learned that thanks to you guys. Vilma, that's the, you are so wonderful. And I, everything that you're saying about us, which is so kind and generous, I feel like is really just a reflection of who you are, right? Um, mm-hmm. Dear NICU mama, we want to be a place of, of validation and we hope that it's a place where people can feel seen. And um, I hope you realize that all those things were already in you, which is why it, it it's a, uh, you feel it so intensely. Um, we could sense it right when we met you from the start and everything you said, I think Mm -hmm. about connecting with other people, feeling genuine vulnerability, you know, um, going right to the grit and the hard stuff. Um, and how that deepens connection with people and and sisters. It's so true. Um, Mm -hmm. we are grateful for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. A million times. And as you've just like shared your story too, I've just been in awe of how aware you are and were in the NICU of just like what you needed. You, it took like great bravery to reach out to that friend of yours that you knew, you know, it took like courage to be like, you know what, I need another mom to connect with. And I just was like, so grateful that when we met, you just dove right in and there was no like small talk. It was like, we went to like the heart stuff. And that is so, it was so amazing. Like I instantly felt this like Nikki mama heart connection to you, like in a second. And I feel that every time we talk and I know all of us do, but it's just like you, you were so aware of what you needed and you went after it and you fought for it. And that just really speaks to who you are and we are seriously big fans. I'm going to paint your face in my house so I can just stare at you. <laughs> the Vilma mural. It'll be great. Your, your landlords will love that. Um, I, I, I also want to say, too, I feel like I forget that, um, Vilma, you joined our community in the, during the time of COVID, you know? So mm-hmm. we've never even met you. Like, I've never even been able to see <laughs> your skin glow in person, you know? And... <laughs> And meet your delicious uh, boy. <laughs> oh my gosh, he's so cute. His hair is so, and his giggle. I can't even with this baby, y'all. Um, but I got we we've got to witness you connect with other moms, uh, other moms who are in 
similar boats to you in that there is there are medical complexities that are ongoing. There are mysteries and uncertainties that are continuing. And um, the resiliency and the the constant push and pull of that, um, to see you to be able to identify in that with others is really powerful because that's mm-hmm. a journey of its own, right? It, it is. Mm-hmm. It is. And that connection is, is needed. I mean, we as humans need human connection. And as the trauma that we've gone through, this time, these connections, and I guess that's why I've dove, I, I, I have gone to like really deep stuff and I felt like I'm out of line at times. And I know you guys tell me I haven't, but it just no, it felt no. that way because it was, it, it was what I needed. I needed to make sure that okay, you went through a really difficult time, right? Okay, like, how did you feel? Were you? Did you think you were crazy? Did you think this? Like, well, oh, wait, you have a, a, a full-term baby? Well, okay, they happen. It really does happen. It's, you know, and, and, and oh, your baby, you know, I remember when I met Kendra and her words were, you know, her son had the glucose issues as well. And I'm like, oh my God, somebody else experienced this. And I've... It was the first time that I felt a real connection. And it literally took three minutes into our Zoom meeting. <laughs> um, yeah. The first one. Uh, after that. I remember Jose in the background. He like walked out by like with shirtless. Sorry, you can cut that out. But he, and I, he was just like there with you, like living it too, you know. Um, I was so beautiful. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's he's been such a strong person. I, I can, I've said it before when I was on the worst moments, he was there and, you know, we, I remember him telling how much we forget about the dad sometimes. And, but he's been so positive. You think I'm positive? This guy never second guesses the abilities that Bradley will be able to achieve. He just, he says, He's going to make it happen. I know it. I know it. And it astonishes me because when Bradley makes things happen, he's like, see, I told you. And and I think I'm the positive one. I think because I'm the bubbly person. And and he really, he makes, he keeps me aligned to not have such, to not be so difficult on my, so hard on myself about certain things and not to dwell on how slow the process has been for him because he'll get there. He's just on his own timeline. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But is there any, uh, is there any last things that you want to add Vilma to kind of cap off the episode or any encouragement you'd give to maybe another full-term NICU mom and or um, a NICU mama who, whose baby has had seizures or, to my fellow full-term mama, you're not alone. This can happen, and it's okay. You didn't do anything wrong. Sometimes life takes us through a path that we were not expecting and that we're not prepared for, and sometimes that we wish we didn't have to go through but there is a reason for it. 
It's to make us stronger, to love deeper, to be focused, to have faith, and to put other people in our lives. There is no truer poem than Welcome to Holland. I've said that so many times because I would not have met any of you wonderful people if it wasn't because of our NICU journey. I mean, do I wish it didn't happen? Yes. But has it given my life additional purpose other than just being a mom to Bradley? Absolutely. Um, so there, there's a reason behind it. And as I said before, there's so much strength in us. And these babies are so strong. So, I mean, you are witnesses with your preemies. They're so tiny and fragile and they come out on top. You know, it, they are so strong. When you hear that they're resilient, it's true. They're not lying to you. They, babies are so resilient. They are stronger than we give them credit for. Um, so just we're in this together. We love I'm going to so get much. that tattooed on my back. <laughs> It'll be a little long, but I think it'll be good. I love you guys. We love you. Well, mamas, thank you again for tuning in. If you're listening to this when it's aired, um, happy early 4th of July. Um, And we are always thinking of all of you mamas during this pandemic and this crazy time. And we know that it can be especially triggering right now. And so just know that you're not alone. And to any full-term mamas that are listening to this, we hope, again, this just validates that you are never alone and that this was not your fault. So thank you, Vilma, again, for just sharing so openly and so vulnerably. Bradley is, as you call, the most delicious little boy, and we are very (laughs) fond of him. (laughs) And so um, we are just so grateful for you taking time to, to share with us your journey. So Mamas, have a wonderful rest of your week. We love you and we can't wait to connect with you next time. If you love this podcast and would like to hear more amazing stories, please consider becoming a member of the Dear NICU Mama Patreon page. In addition to special merchandise and early access to content, Patreon members support the mission, programs, and services of Dear NICU Mama. You can find the link on the description of this episode. As always, if you'd like to hear more from Dear NICU Mama, click subscribe. Welcome to the sisterhood.